Radical, episode 121. Thanks for tuning in, ladies and gents. I've got an awesome guest today. I've uh, been waiting on this one for a long, long time, uh, as you guys will find out. Um, the one and only Libertarian Tupac, the host of Part of the Problem, Legion of Skanks, a guy that is making a run at it. And I'll tell you what, uh, to have him and have a, a few minutes of his time, I'm tickled to death. Uh, please welcome to the show the great legend in the making. Dave Smith. What's up, dude? What's up, brother? It's uh, very good to be with you, Shane. And man, that intro got me hyped up. I love that. <laughs> I tell you what, man. Daniel Smoltz. You know Daniel Smoltz yet? I, I don't. I think I follow him on Twitter, but I, I don't believe we've met. I, I If I'm wrong about that, I apologize. Super interesting guy, man. I mean, just very creative. And I, I mean, a, a lot of the stuff that he's brought to life in the the libertarian movement is exactly what we need. We need all these guys that are, you know, really good at all the the tech and, I mean, I don't know, art and everything else. But uh, thank you for tuning in or for coming on today, man. I, I really appreciate it. Um, you've you've had an explosion of late in terms of just being everywhere, working your ass off. How are you feeling? Good, man. I mean, I, uh, I've, you know, it's, it's like with a lot of these things, it, it, to me, you know, I was, I was a stand-up comedian. I've been doing stand-up for like almost 15 years. I've been a libertarian for around 13 years. And so even though it's like, uh, I don't mean this to sound cocky, but my attitude is kind of like, yeah, about time. This feels, <laughs> this feels just about right. I've, right? Uh, I've put in my dues. I, I know what I'm doing, uh, and I'm, uh, I, I feel comfortable where I am. Yeah, I, that's, that's a lot of what I wanted to, I mean, I, I wanted to get away. Like, I, I think anybody and everybody who's out there kind of knows where we are on most positions out there. And, you know, instead of, I don't know, maybe regurgitating and boring them with all that kind of stuff, I really think there's a side to libertarianism um, that you've crushed and it's humanitarian. Like it's the humanity in, in this and to try to, you know, get to know you uh, maybe a little bit more and, and maybe give some people an insight on how to reach into other people, uh, how you've done it, how you've been successful with it. I think, especially as of late where we've had our kind of our little revolution here in the libertarian party, um, things are starting to, to clean up. You've got, uh, you've got a hell of a lot to do with that, man. Well, I mean, I, I think I play my part in it, um, but I really do uh, give the credit to, to Michael Heiss. I mean, I think he was really the guy who came out with a game plan. And yeah. there were a lot of us who wanted some type of game plan. And he came out with a, a really good one. And so it was like, OK, we're going to we're going to rally behind this guy and behind the whole idea of the, the, the Mises caucus. And so I give him a, a lot of credit for that. And I, as far as, you know, leading with the the humanitarian stuff and all that i mean that's to me that's that's why i'm a libertarian i mean like i don't you know if 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 the caricature of us was true then i wouldn't be on our team <laughs> i mean if it was like if, if we believed that it, if we got all of the you know laws repealed that we want to and we had a, a free society if we believed that that would lead to you know a situation where like poor people had absolutely nothing and only the greedy capitalists succeeded well then i i'd be against that that sounds <laughs> awful it's just that all of their criticisms are are more accurately a criticism of the status quo 
And so that, so I, to me, I always like in terms of like spreading the message to other people, to me, it's like the same skill as being like a stand up comedian where what I, what I talk about is what I find really funny. Yeah. And then if I find it really funny, I'm like, well, I bet other people will too, because this is really funny to me. <laughs> and, you know, and so with, with libertarianism, I just always try to, I always try to think of it from the perspective of like, if I didn't know about any of this, what point would convince me? Yeah. Like if I was looking at this and I didn't have the, like what argument would really hit home with me? And then whenever you touch on that one, you're like, okay, that's the one, that's the one that would hit home with me. Now that may not, that doesn't work for everyone, but it, it works with other people. Cause there's, you know, you're a person and other people are similar to you. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree with you. It's, uh, it's where I've found, to, to, I mean, the, just to be able to go out and have human interactions with people and, and, you know, share your humanity. A lot of times sharing where you've messed up in life or where you have had a change of thought, right? Like that, that piece pierces, you know, people where you can be like, yeah, man, I, I was duped. And, you know, they go, yeah, okay. Like this guy's kind of human after all. Um, with that being said, uh, I'd like to dive way back into how and, and when did you start, you know, comedy? Like, where was your first gig and how did you know you wanted to do that? Um, so I was uh, I was friends and uh, roommates at the time with Luis J. Gomez, yeah. who is a hilarious comedian and just an, an incredible human being and a, a force of nature, if ever there was one. Uh, and so me, me and Luis knew each other like... Uh, from a while ago, I think I met Lewis for the first time ever. I, I might have just been out of high school or something like that. But one of my, he was dating like one of my sister's friends, and we we like knew each other through a few other people, and we ended up becoming really good friends. And and then we ended up uh, um, splitting an apartment. And we're like, or, you know, might have been like twenty one or something like that. Like we right. were young, crazy and, years. Um, yeah, yeah, and uh, um, you know, just young degenerate kids. And um, he started working in the comedy scene. He was producing stand-up comedy shows. And then he started he started performing and he started like hosting at his own shows. And he was always trying to convince me to start. I was a huge fan of stand-up from like my entire life. And he was like, dude, you're like the funniest person I know. You gotta try stand-up comedy. And he, uh, he, he finally convinced me to come to an open mic at Stand Up New York on the uh, Upper West Side of Manhattan. And I, uh, I went and did it and, uh, and, and open mics are just, oh God, awful. I mean, it's just, it's just, you know, a room. It's of like ten. the karaoke of, uh, of, of it's comedy. Worse. It's worse than that. It's picture doing stand up comedy in front of 10 miserably failed comedians, not like up and coming comedians right. who have a future. Like this is never going to happen for them. Bitter awful, talentless comedians who are sitting in the audience just waiting to go do it themselves. They have no interest in listening to what you have to say. And it's just awful. But I think <laughs> I, I think I, I hit like one thing where I got like a laugh in the room. And I remember hitting that and being like, oof, that was cool. And as soon as I got off, I was like, hey, let's go do another open mic. And let's go do and then it would just seem like from there it was just like that was I just dove into it and yeah. uh, pretty, pretty early on, uh, within the first few months of doing it, I met uh, uh, Big J, Big J Okerson, who's mm -hmm. like maybe the funniest comedian in, in the country now. And um, 
and he like he saw something in me and like really dug what I was doing. He was like, "Yo, you're a funny dude." And he started bringing me on the road, and I met Patrice and Attell and like all these great comedians. And then it was just my life. Like I was just obsessed with with being a stand up comedian for for the next you know whatever it's been now 14 years. Jeez. Now, when you're hustling, I'm talking like getting after it, you know, when you're very beginning of the stand up career, like how many nights a week are you in a club uh, practicing your your stuff? Oh, every night, you know, really every night Now you may not uh, at the very beginning, you may not get up every night. But in New York City, you know, you'd go to like some bar where you'd try to get up, then you'd have one show, then you would just be hanging out. I was, I was just hanging out, watching a ton of stand-up comedy, meeting people, all that stuff. But it, it becomes like your your life. Like that's, and I think yeah. anyone who gets really good at stand-up, it had to like be their life. And uh, yeah, so I, I was, for a long time, I was out, you know, every night. Yeah, not anymore. Uh, but for a long time, I was doing that. <laughs> when when you're developing jokes, I mean, obviously, you know, hanging out with really funny dudes and and, and having you know just a, a laugh. I mean, are you are you constantly like taking a, a notebook around and writing things down and and kind of going over it, maybe tweaking it for delivery and timing and all that? I I was never that style. Yeah, and different comics have have different styles. Yeah. I was I never really did that. Um, my my thing was I, I'd always just be thinking about funny things and any funny thing that happened or came came up. You'd always like stick in your mind. But I always uh, did a lot of my writing on stage. Like you kind of go up with an idea and then you just kind of go with it. Like that's just the that's the style of of speaker yeah. in general that I am. Like I I went up, when I I you know you were at the uh the LPMC event in um in Pittsburgh uh the other day. Yeah. And I didn't I, see a damn thing, man. Like in terms of a note card, not a bullet oh, point, no. nothing. Well, I didn't I mean I'd say about maybe 20% of that speech was planned out and none mm-hmm. of it was written down. And it's just <laughs> kind of thoughts in my head, but I knew I knew there were a few things that like I wanted to hit. And then the rest, when you went up there, like I, I had no idea I was gonna say that. You know, I didn't, I didn't know I was gonna say Ron Paul has a stroke on Friday and then on Monday. You know, it's just like kind of in the moment that just seemed like the thing to say. I was talking about Ron Paul, and then I was like, well, here's a good, here's a good way to put it. Um, yeah. And so that's, and I like that. I like doing that with stand up too. Like that's just, it's more fun to me. It's, it, it makes it more of like this kind of the thrill of the moment, and and you find new stuff. And then I, I. When when I'm working out material, usually I'll I'll put my phone on record, so I'll audio record it. And then sometimes I'll listen back to sets and be like, oh, you know, you see what was there, uh, like that's not that good. Then you find yeah. something, you're like, oh, there's something there. And then just the more you do it, the more you find the perfect kind of like, oh, here are the beats, here's the best word to use, here's the best phrase to use, and and you know, it's it's weird. It's Dave Chappelle said once. That uh, uh, I think it was Chappelle. I'm pretty sure it was. He said that comedy is a language that I speak fluently. Yeah. And I thought that was really a, a very interesting way to put it. And I think comedy is a language um, that I speak very well. Not <laughs> quite as fluently as Dave Chappelle. You yeah. know, like there's. But, Give yourself a little but, room there, Dave. Yeah. I mean, he's, but he's one I, of the all time greats. But well, well, yeah, and I, for to me, I think probably the best ever. But so he speaks like completely fluently and perfectly. Yeah. You know, I still don't conjugate some verbs every now and then. But <laughs> but I know the language, and that's kind of a weird thing. Like you could take something; it's a very specific way to put something that will elicit a laugh out of a crowd. It's that you could have a funny thought and just not put it in the right way, that that a group of people could be like, yeah, that's funny, but I'm not laughing. 
You know, right. like it's, there's a be a certain beat to it, which is hard to describe, but you just kind of you learn it by feel. Yeah, no, I, I respect it, man. It's one of those things like with uh, with politics. I've never, you know, in, in the beginning, I used to drink about six beers. Right. And then I'd go up and I'd give a speech because it loosened me up a little bit. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, you know, the more you do it. And, I, and I've talked about this a little bit uh, for libertarians as well. It's like go out and just start talking, man. Like, go out and lead a group. Go do something. And, you know, you, to see, you know, where you came in on uh, on Friday a couple weeks ago and just nailed it without any of that kind of stuff. I thought this probably kind of your style. I've only, you know, I'll take a couple bullet points, but feeling that room out, man, and, and, and seeing who's there. And it, I think that is one of the best things you can do in terms of the, the relatability, the humanity of a situation. If you go in there and just read scripts, man, I'll tell you what, there's nothing more lifeless and boring uh, in the Libertarian Party, right? Yeah. And like, so it's a matter of getting comfortable, you know, like, like you said, it's, it's a matter of, of first and foremost, just like practice. Like yeah. it's, it's very hard to be comfortable in a situation you've never been in before. You know, mm -hmm. it's like if you've, if you've never been in a fist fight in your life and someone like runs up to you and starts swinging, you are going to be nervous. Like there, you're going to be afraid. <laughs> There's no way to not, yeah. but then you'll look at some, some boxer, some professional boxer, he could get in the ring and just be like yep. calm and loose because he's been hit, he's been in the situation, he knows how to protect himself. So a lot of it's like that, like just when you've been, when you've experienced the worst case scenario and lived through it, you know, if you've been punched in the face and realize like, okay, it's not fun, but it's not the end of the world. I'm gonna it's recover. not as scary, right? It's not as scary to get right. hit again. Um, but so, so there's that. And then there's also just preparedness. And so the, the more prepared you are, like, you know, that that same boxer, if he is a much better boxer than the guy he's fighting, he's going to be a lot more comfortable because he's like, well, I know that. So in a situation like that, I think it's like, number one, I've I've given a lot of public talks, stand up like I've spoken in front of an audience. Yeah, like uh, tens of thousands of times in, in my life. And so that doesn't really rattle me. And I know what I'm saying here. Like, I'm prepared. I'm not like kind of winging this and hoping you don't, you know, no one sees through the fact that I don't really know what I'm talking about. It's like, I know exactly what I'm saying. I know the group right. of people I'm talking to. And I, you know, and am very confident that I, I'm right about this. And so why would I need to, you know, like, okay, let me structure every sentence and all of this. It's like, no, come on, we're all people. Let me talk to you. Let me say the thing that, again, just like I said before, that I would want to hear someone yeah. say if they were up there, if I were sitting down, like, this is what would get me to stand up and clap. I'm going to say that. And, you know, it, it worked out pretty well. I hope all of you guys out there that are in the uh, the chat right now are taking notes. If you're a podcaster or you're in the libertarian movement, man, this is giving you the the cheat codes and the hacks out there from Dave Smith himself. I think one of the other reasons you're extremely good at what you do is you smile and you make people laugh, man. And I mean, to be able to do that in politics, there's a lot of people that I mean, I made the mistake going out like that, you know, the first couple of times. Well, I should say the first time, especially. But, you know, you're you're very serious subject. You care a lot about something and, and you're just like stone cold dead to the uh, the people that are listening if you can smile man it makes all the damn difference in the world yeah i remember and and look i mean i've 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 probably you know i'm always trying to improve and everybody should be um but i i was when i debated nick sarwalk i thought i i lost my um calibration a little bit and there are certain things that really get me. And th the thing that really got me with him was him, his 
implication because it's always an implication, never an accusation, but basically an accusation of, you know, Ron Paul, the Mises Caucus, Tom Woods, I mean, at the Mises Institute, I should say, people who I love, you know, and like know very well and are heroes of mine. And I was I was angry and uh, I was too angry in that uh, debate. If I if I could do that again, I would pull that back 20 percent. Would you really? 20 percent pull back of anger, add 20 percent funny and still make all the points that I was making. I mean, it was fun. It was fine. I won and I won on the merit of the argument. Um, But yeah, I thought there were points in that debate where I was just too furious. And um, that's that's my own self critique. I I remember listening to that. I remember where I was on the stretch of night. Interstate 95 when I would listen to that. I saw, I think, the debate the night before, and then I heard your your show when you invited him in the day after. And and, and I got to tell you, man, like I've been listening to 16 for since like I think 2016. And to have that moment, I think that might have been the moment where I said, holy shit, like Dave needs to get into politics. There's, And I think there was a shift at that time for you. I mean, th- where this, you know, this catapult where – Man, you really just took the LNC chair that everybody, you know, in the Mises caucus kind of had a problem with. And I'm glad, you know, this is all kind of getting pushed aside and buried for the most part. But I mean, at the time, it's what needed to happen. And I'll tell you what, uh, when you showed up and you were serious, I think it it gave it some gravity. I think it. it Yeah, no, I I think being serious was good. I was a little bit too angry, but I'm not, you know, like I'd I'd give myself like a B plus for the performance. I just, it could have been an A and that was what, what, uh, yeah, yeah, B plus for me, for for the libertarian Tupac, that's an F, you know what I mean? So I got a a very high, uh, you know, self-evaluation. That's Um, why you're going to go far, man. But I do, I, I think you're right. I think that at the time it needed to happen and it was, and, and I have no interest in, in beefing with Nick Sarwak right. anymore. And I really, I wish some people online would just leave that alone. I don't think it's, I think it's like, you don't want it's to be fighting now. the battles of the past. It's like, it's like going off on a whole thing about how awful a president Hillary Clinton will be. Well, who yeah. cares? That's, that's not the battle anymore. Um, and, uh, but at the time it was, I think, um, like a turning point for the the Mises caucus it was a sim, it was a symbolic you know event that the the chair who was their opponent was debating not the guy the guy was Tom Woods but I was like you know what Tom's not going to debate you but I'll step up and and do this and then it kind of in some ways like it put me in a different in a different space uh, than, than I was in previously, you know, like now it's like, okay, well now I'm getting on stage with the guy who's supposed to be, you know, the face of the party yeah. and, um, and, you know, beating. Yeah. Him. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it worked out. I think it's going to, I think it's going to work out to everybody's favor, right? I mean, we've got people from the DNC and the GOP defecting like crazy right now. If, you know, if, if anybody can point them and this is a great, you know, great thing that I've, I've had a lot of success with guys. If, if you have people coming to you, uh, talking about how they can't stand the LP in general because they thought it was kind of weak. Well, maybe point them to that moment and then tell them, hey, listen, this is the direction we're trying to go now. And so I think it's a, a, a great point. I wanted to kind of switch gears back into, you know, outside of politics. Um, you guys, you've changed a lot since 2016 when I first started listening to you. I picked you up when I was traveling around internationally and, and through the country and everything. It was a great thing to be able to pick up a guy who could talk politics and have a fun time doing it you and Robbie um you guys were were both single you know 
bachelors back then and it was a completely different show um the the idea that you guys have gone from i guess 2016 to six years i mean marine and, and math there we're not great at it but <laughs> the uh the the, the change for you, was it because you were getting engaged? Was it uh, because of marriage? Do you think it's just time in general? Yeah, probably all of those things, you know, but like what really changed um, for me was just meeting my wife. And, and I mean, I, I you know, my, my wife is really like, I'm like, I am just incredibly lucky. I mean, she's yeah. just, she's that chick that everybody who knows her, everybody who knows us as a couple knows this. She's just that chick who everyone loves. Like, yeah. she's just the best. Like, the best human being, just just super smart and kind, beautiful, completely takes care of me. Like, just it's just like the perfect match for me. Like, I, I don't know what I did good in a previous life to get to have, have <laughs> trapped this one, but I, I caught her. And she's pregnant and barefoot upstairs. She ain't going nowhere. So I, I caught her and uh, and I, I held on to her real good. But that was, I think I always, you know, I was a, a bachelor probably longer into life than you should be one. Um, and, you know, in, in all of my 20s and into my 30s, and I, I was a, a degenerate and I did a lot of, you know, whatever. Same here, things, man. You know, things that at the time seemed like the fantasy. And then you realize later just how backward you had the game, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's so funny because it's like, um, I remember having these like, you know, like kind of typical, I guess, 20s male impulses of like, well, I don't want to get tied down. I want to have my fun. I don't want yeah. someone to change me, you know, like all these dumb things that you have in your mind. And it's like. Oh, really? You don't you don't think having like an awesome person who's completely committed to having your back throughout life is a positive? Like where where is your mind state even? <laughs> and that's like but it really does it shows you at least in my opinion, like it shows you a real a real uh crumbling of like the the positives of traditional morality in in the country that like nobody was like pointing out how ridiculous this was to me like none of the institutions the cultural institutions were um and then you know uh you know i just fell in love with my wife and and then you know we got engaged got married and, and yeah. had our daughter and that really you know as you know you're a father and it's it's uh there it's very difficult to describe to people who aren't parents but everyone who is a parent knows oh. exactly what i'm talking about it just changes everything it changes like it's like a thing like down to the the most minute wiring of your dna you are just experiencing life in a different way with a different purpose and so that you know i've had a profound effect change on me my, my life and i'm sure that comes through in the show and, and of course oh, it man. changed some of my views you know and so that comes out yeah, and, and being, I mean, and being comfortable enough and honest enough to talk about the, the changing of views. Like, that that was one of the things, that, like, as I started seeing, like, oh, man, this girl's getting kind of serious, man. And, like, you know, <laughs> hearing it in the podcast, I was like, oh, shit, man, Dave's going down. Like, this is, <laughs> <laughs> this is it. Oh, man, this show's going to die. But it's it's refreshing that it hasn't because, you know, being in probably a, a few years ahead of you, I think your daughter's, what, two now? Two uh, and, and half, yeah. Yeah, my, my, my youngest is six it's like to see you know kind of where you're at in in this 
whole dad thing, which is fucking nuts. I mean, it is, it's kind of, I mean, it's crazy. I'm sure you're, you know, you and your daughter are starting to have like, you know, some, some playtime and like there, she's getting a personality in, in a big way. And, yeah. you know, she's got, she's probably got you wrapped around her little finger <sighs> for a little bit. It's disgusting. She <laughs> bosses me around, bosses me around like no human being in my life ever has. Just, and you're like, just, okay. Things just to assert her dominance over me sometimes, I think. Like she'll just uh, – literally about an hour ago I was upstairs and she, she goes, Daddy, Daddy, sit here, sit here and points to a seat on the couch. And I was like, OK, sweetheart, I'll sit here. And I sit down. And then she goes, Daddy, Daddy, sit here and just points to a different <laughs> seat on the couch. And I was like, this doesn't even make sense. Are you just like – like she's about to do this to me and I'm like, hey, what are we what are we doing here? Are you just, are you just bullying me? But dude, I mean you know it. I mean two and a half is just – the level of cute that a two and a half year old brings to the table is it's sickening. Like it hurts you. It, it, yeah. it It's painful. I mean, she just every day and now just like with, you know, the sentences and the thoughts and she wants to sit and talk about her day and what we did. And, you know, we went in the blue car to Nona's house and then but it's just just so much fun, man. I really I try to, to really force myself to do the best job I can to to enjoy every second of it. Cause I already know this. It's so quick and then it's over. I, you know, I, I look at, you're ahead you know, of it, man. Yeah, like, I look at pictures of, of my daughter when she was like six months old, eight months old. And you sit there and you go, Oh man, she'll never be that again. And that is so, it's like, so it's a trip. Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny. Cause I love the age she is now so much, but I'm also so heartbroken that she'll never be eight months old again, you know, and it's all happening at the same time. And, just try to enjoy the ride. It's it's beautiful, and we got another one on the way. So I'm yeah, man, Wait, little boy that. this time. Did you guys already find well, out? Yep, yep, little Ooh. boy coming in October. So different, man, and it's 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 funny because I had like my two boys first, and like you said, like it passes. I mean, in, in a blip. My my oldest is nine; he's almost ten, and he's walking in to the kitchen, and I only have to bend my head down to kiss him on top of his head now. And I'm like, yeah. oh my god, what yeah. is going on? So yeah, I mean, in in a in a heartbeat, it's it's done. And I I will tell you, man. Like after the diapers uh, and the sleepless nights, like I'm like, yeah, maybe we're good. Maybe we we don't have to tell all this shit. Around around with us everywhere it's like oh, yeah that yeah that part there it's not look man it's not easy that's for, like it's the best thing i've ever done but yeah. it is just it is incredibly difficult and there are you know like it's like with anything in life like it's like the better something is usually the more it costs and and the more rewarding <laughs> something is usually the the harder it is to achieve you know um but to me i think the hardest part of of being a parent uh that that no one really tells you beforehand no no one really sits you down and goes look you are now going to just live within the back of your chest somewhere a crippling fear that something could happen to one of your kids and that it may not always be like at the front of your mind it may oh. just be like in the back somewhere but it is always there there's always a, a little like something that because you know bad things can happen and something bad happening to you is you know it's it's a little bit scary and you don't want that to happen but it's nothing like the fear of something bad oh. happening to your kid and that's just you know that's that you gotta you gotta find a way to uh to deal with but it's really good aside from that i'll tell you sleep. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the sleep. Yeah. It's kind of like being in a, uh, in, in a, I don't know what I considered seer school, you know, survival school, right? Where they're just, <laughs> you're just up for days and they, and they actually play a crying baby in the background the entire time. And it, cause it hits you subconsciously and you're like, oh, <laughs> I'm back in hell. No. Dude, I remember I'd have, I'm starting to think about this because, you know, getting ready to have another baby. Because, like, my daughter does, she'll wake up periodically throughout the night, but it's yeah. not like newborn status where it's, you know, but I remember like when she was like just like a few months old and there'd be like, It'd be like a thing, like not exaggerating, you know, like you've gotten like, let's say in two nights, like maybe three hours of sleep. Yeah. And you're like, you know, just think about how tired you are now. It's not even it's one thing if you had gotten three hours of sleep in two nights and then you go, you have to stay up all night. Right. Tonight. That would actually be much easier. <laughs> what it is, is you go, you've got three hours of sleep in the last two nights and you get the baby down and you go, oh my God, I'm so tired. And, and you lay down and you fall instantly into the deepest sleep you've ever been in in your life. Like you are in heavy REM sleep five minutes in and then 15 minutes later, a baby is hysterically crying and you come out of it like it's for a second. You don't know that you're a human being and you're essentially like, what? And now I have to hold this little baby and you're literally like you're on an acid level trip of whatever's going on. And. Oof, yeah, that's it's challenging, man. That that part is challenging for sure. Yeah, it's that expected sleep. Oh man, just tonight, man. Tonight's the night. No, it's not. Trust me. It's never the night when you got a an infant or a one year old or two year old. That's for yeah. damn sure. Yeah. Oh man, no. Uh, that, it's it's funny you say that because you know, like a lot of those years for me, man. We just uh, like you kind of repress it, you black it out, and then like you start talking about it years later. You're like, oh yeah, we did do that. <laughs> Yeah, my, my wife's been saying that just about uh, like being pregnant. Like mm -hmm. she's like, like all of a sudden, cause now she's, you know, like she's like 20 weeks right now. And so she started to get, you know, like pregnant and she'll be like, oh yeah, this oh. is awful. I forgot about <laughs> right. this. Like, why did I do this again? This was, I forgot how bad this was, but it is, maybe it's some, like, there's some Darwinian answer to that. Like you just block it out so that you'll keep doing it. That's right, man. That's uh, that's that human. I don't know. It's, there's a lot of good design and whatever, you know, created all this kind of stuff. And I mean, it's it's funny to see it all come together. Um, the the, the I, I guess kind of moving into um, some other things with uh, with your life. Um, Robbie, the fire. He's been with you for a good while now, man. And I'll tell you, I can't shake is, him. Yeah, <laughs> I, I tell you what, I enjoy Robbie uh, a whole heck of a lot, man. And to see his evolution too is that was did was there any type of like off screen talk between you guys where you know you just started passing him some books because at one point you know Robbie would come in talking about you know chicks and you know sandwiches and all this other kind of stuff, and the next minute you're like, dude, he's quoting Rothbard and Mises, and he's got a really great understanding of economic theory and and what's happening in the current cycle like it oh. yeah look i don't i don't take credit for the only thing i take credit for is for recognizing it in him yeah like robbie was so i i met robbie whew, man this gotta be i think i met him in 2012 um and we met at a at a comedy club and he was new he was he was like one of the uh, like a young comic i just started and uh and we were just we, we hung out a little bit and we, we liked each other. And then I saw him on stage 
you know, like he was a very new comic, so he was doing like one of the short guest spots that like like a free spot that they'll give newbies sometimes. Yeah. And, and I watched him and I was like, oh, Robbie's kind of a funny guy. Like he was still green and figuring it out, but I was like, oh, he's got some funny jokes and he's a funny dude. And so we just got along and we're friends. And then literally one day, this mother he comes in with <laughs> you can say whatever you want. Oh, can I? All right, I don't yeah. want to mess this up. So he comes in with uh, David Stockman. The Great Deformation, which is like a an amazing book, but not an easy read. Like right. that's a real serious read. And he goes, "Oh, hey, Dave." Uh, he goes, "Dude, you should check out this book. I think it's really good." And I go, "I should check out this book." <laughs> I go, "This is like my Bible. Like, what are you talking?" And I go, "Oh, sit. You're, you're, he goes, "Yeah, I'm like halfway through," and and he really understood it and knew it. And then I, I was just like, "Oh shit, Rob's like really good on economics. This is crazy." And so. Then and and so I, I probably passed him like a few books over the years, but he was into that stuff already. Like he was reading that, and he's uh, Jeff. Jeff Dice said something about he goes like all the best libertarians are good on economics, and it's it's not a surprise that the ones who aren't good on economics almost always being uh, end up being not great libertarians. And that's that's why I think Robbie's so solid on all this stuff. He's really, really solid on economics. And he's just a funny dude. And, you know, uh, um, so, yeah, but he I think he came in on the podcast. I think he's just gotten better and better at mm -hmm. it over the years. Like he's just come into his own more. He's become a much better stand up comic and he's become a, a, a much better podcaster just as like kind of that experience, you know, like it's, it's, I think in, in just about anything, it takes like, it takes 10 years to be really good at something. And then it takes probably 15 to 20 to be great at something. Most of the time, there's exceptions yeah. to that, but most of the time. And I think he's just kind of coming into his own in that way, but he's great, man. He's, he's, a, I really value him. I think he's, he's a true asset. Oh, I, I guarantee you. I mean, to, to have him in and to be able to bounce things around and have some levity, I mean, just, yeah. I mean, and just, and to see him grow. I mean, to, that's, that's one of the things I love about, you know, the podcast out there to, to, to see all these different voices that, you know, are, are coming up uh, or have been around that are just, you know, they're, this is the time, you know, like the, the libertarian podcast, um, you know, circle is getting, not full, but it's growing. And I, I think it's absolutely amazing. Um, I, I'd like to talk a little bit about how you decided to get into it. Like what, what were your first thoughts? Like why the, how do you go from comedy into being a commentator on, on politics? Well, so I was like, when I, when I first started getting into libertarianism, I mean, it really became like an, an obsession for me. And I, it, it was the, the timing, like the stars just kind of aligned where I was, I was just doing good enough at stand up to not have a day job. Like I was just getting enough work to be broke, but, <laughs> broke as fuck. but get my bills paid. You know right. what I mean? Like I could just get by. Functionally uh, broke. Yeah, exactly. Like which, and, and to me, I think to a lot of young standups, they'd be like, well, I'm going to keep my day job for a little while longer. So I don't have to, you know, be completely broke. And I was like, no, nah, screw that. This is the dream. I'm going to just support myself <laughs> off comedy. And so I was getting work. Jay was bringing me out on the road. Some other people were using me and I was getting enough work to, to just to get the bills paid. Um, but then I had a lot of free time on my hands. So it just happened to work. Like, so I just got obsessed with libertarian philosophy and politics in general. Mm -hmm. And I was just devouring like 
the catalog at, 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 right. at Mises.org. You know, I was I was devouring Rothbard and Ron Paul and Tom Woods and Peter Schiff and all all types of great libertarian thinkers. And um and I then I just had all of this stuff and I had so many opinions about what was going on. And I just it was kind of at the beginning of podcasting being a thing. And it, it just kind of started as like I almost like just like like therapy. Like I just I have all this in my head. I gotta say this to somebody, yeah. you know? So I just started like doing the podcast. And uh it was it was Mike Brancatelli, who's uh uh still out there, you know, eating mushrooms and, and talking about <laughs> human consciousness or something yeah. somewhere. Um but I love that guy and I give him a lot of the credit because he he was the guy who really like convinced me. I think I started doing it for a little while. And then I just kind of stopped doing it. Like I was mm -hmm. like, yeah, I think it was around 2012. I did I did a few episodes. I, it was right around the the um, when Obama got reelected. So late 2012. Yeah. And then I just stopped for a little. No one was listening. It seemed a little bit weird. Like I was like, I don't know. What am I doing? And and Mike Brancatelli was the guy uh, who I give him him the credit for it, that he he kind of like cornered me and told me mm -hmm. he was like, dude, you have to do this. He was like, you are that guy who can be the guy for this whole movement. So you have to keep doing this. And then I was like, all right, well, will you do it with me? If you'll be my co-host, then I'll go do this. And he was like, absolutely, let's do it. And so he came on for, for years and then he went, you know, a, a different way with the, the stuff he wanted to talk about and the stuff he wanted to do. And, mm -hmm. um, and, and then Robbie came on. So that was, you know, it just, and then it just kind of like things started just slowly picking up like I'd get on other uh, other big shows in the libertarian world and then I got on you know some really big shows and it just the audience just built and built and built and then before I knew it I was like oh shoot this is like this this is a little a little machine here yeah no it, it's amazing I mean they, they say that 90% uh, of the podcasts don't get past the first seven shows so get past your first seven shows out there if you're a podcaster or want to be a podcaster and then you know you got a better chance of continuing to do that kind of stuff your your top 10 there you go <laughs> <laughs> right off with seven shows top 10 it's crazy it's a bunch of fucking quitters out there um when 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 you do digest uh information man i mean you're you're probably on the move a lot you probably don't have a, a ton of spare time I, I know i don't um do you do you like reading or do you try to use audio um, I, no, I, you know, there's, I, I listen to, to some podcasts sometimes and I like having like, you know, I like using YouTube cause you can kind of have it on in the background while you're doing something, you know, mm -hmm. and there's certain things like, you know, that I literally was cleaning out my, uh, uh, garage the other day and painting a, a new, like a uh, bassinet for, for my, my son who's coming. So I got, you know, podcasts playing while, while I do that and I'll, I'll rotate back and forth between, you know, a lot of the, um, the, the Liberty podcasts that I love, you know, I, I listen to Tom Woods and Ron Paul as much as possible. Um, but I still, I, I just do better reading. Like I'm old school like that. Um, but I don't do as much, uh, foundational reading as I used to, uh, yeah. I just don't, don't have as much time for it. And I've got a little bit more of a solid foundation at this point. So most of my, most of my, um, interests are really keeping up with current events and I think that that's one area that um, that like that to me is is the thing that I, I really learned from Ron Paul that I think is is a huge part of the reason why he was so effective. And I think it's one of the things that some libertarian influencers, particularly the ones who have, you know, 
kind of lost a lot of steam over the last few years. Like there were a few people, not to name names, who were who were amongst the bigger libertarians, um, you know, uh, maybe six, seven, eight, nine years ago. Mm-hmm. And nowadays they're just people aren't really looking to them nearly as much. Um, these are the people who have like a ton of followers and get very little interaction on their uh, on their their tweets or their videos or things like that because if you're just talking about the non-aggression principle all day long it, that doesn't mean anything to anyone like yeah. if i if i go to my my stepfather did i oh did, oh, did you lose i got me? you i got okay. you so if I, I go if I go to like my my stepfather who's you know like a truck driver and I and I start talking to him about you know well let me tell you about the non-aggression <laughs> principle he's like what what are you talking about you some yeah, he's abstract... not Reed Coverdale what so, are you yeah, talking like, about <laughs> right right really he's the only one who he's the there's five truck drivers in America and Reed's two <laughs> right. of them who would respond to that uh, right but you know if you talk to him about that you know, he's like, what? Okay, you have some abstract principle. Okay, congratulations. But if I talk to him about why the price of lumber is skyrocketing, and it's because Damn of right. Federal Reserve policy, and this is how much money was printed last year. And that, now all of a sudden, you got a real conversation on your hands. And but what Ron Paul was always great at is that he knew everything. I mean, if you if you bring up what's going on in Iran, he knows exactly what's going on in Iran, the entire history down to what happened this week. And yeah. that's a thing that I think libertarians got to focus on. So I try my best to stay really up to date with with current events. Like, what's the crises right now that yeah. are facing the country? What's the latest? What just came out? What's going on with this whole lab leak theory? Okay, so uh, you got to be on that. You got to go read what Nicholas Wade just wrote on Medium about that. Like, you got to, you know. So that's to me, that's just the most effective way because because the philosophy is is beautiful, but if it doesn't apply to real life, then this is meaningless and stupid. Our whole point is to apply this philosophy to real life. That's the value of it. Yeah. That's why communism is stupid, right? Because it's just <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, okay. If human beings behaved in this way, you have a classless, stateless society. But in real life, they behave this way, and you have a genocidal famine. Yeah, so, yeah pointing guns at peaceful yeah. people is never a really good idea. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, your ideas really suck if that's the thing. I, I was not you know, I noticed these things, man. And I I think it was your maybe your last show where you were uh, talking about the uh, the, the Wuhan uh, lab there and yeah, how they've known about this shit forever. You pulled out some really obscure fucking clips like how much time do you spend watching and searching and finding that kind of stuff? Like, is it seems like quite a bit, huh? Yeah, well, I think part of it's like, you know, social media for as messed up as it is part of this, it becomes your friend. Like if you follow the rights, the right people and you're like kind of engaging with the right content, they do start showing you the stuff that you're going to want to see. And so you'll find when you'll just see people post this, people post that, you know, I, I try to I try to follow people who I think are really valuable, even outside of libertarians. Yeah. Um, like I, I subscribe to Matt Taibbi's Substack and Glenn Greenwald's Substack, and like the and I and I, I try to watch the first few minutes of Tucker Carlson uh, most nights if I can, uh, like online usually, not from watching it there. But all those guys, and and then it's like you know the, the purist could be like, well, they're not good libertarians. It's like, yeah, no, none of them are, but they're speaking to really important things that are happening in our society, and Lots sometimes they get it right. 
Yeah, you're right. And that, that is that's a great point is, you know, to 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 have your social media dialed in to some great people. I mean, it, it is a useful tool. Um, did you see uh, what just popped out of uh, Facebook, apparently, where uh, a whole bunch of these memos for the, the liberty base, the conservative base and the uh, the Christian base, I guess, out there where they're, they're going to start going after those? Yeah, I, I saw it, but I have not dug into it th- at all yet. So I, I'm but that, that, that might be my next project tonight. Yeah, I was going to say big shock. I know. Um, with, with that being said, one of the things that's been on my mind, especially, you know, with it, with a guy, you know, like yourself, Tom Woods, Ron Paul, the rest of these guys are like, I, it's coming, right? It's, it's a matter of time. And have you thought about um, moving everything? And, and when I say moving, uh, like going and finding a, a blockchain um, type technology for social media, have you, have you thought about kind of leading the movement in that direction yet? You know, I've I've actually been talking to a few people just over the last couple of weeks of really trying to get that together. Yeah. You know, my my thing has always been for years that uh, gas digital network. This is what that was all about. That it's like mm. we're going to have our own network where people know where to find us and we run the whole show. Yeah. And because we've seen the writing on the wall for quite a while, um, I I you know it, it's this weird uh, thing where. Any one of us, we could we could get this all taken away from us in in one second. And there's no question that it's like, you know, I I work knowing that the whole following on Twitter and YouTube and stuff like that that I've built up that that can go any time. But everybody just about knows that they can come find me at Gas Digital Network when that's over. But I'm trying to work on adding as many layers of protection to that as I can. So hopefully within the next month, I I should be in a stronger spot. But yeah, (laughs) my guess is that's coming, you know? Yeah. I mean, especially by 2024. I mean, I I think if if they don't, first and foremost, they're stupid. It's not a great battle plan. If if they're going to let, I don't don't know, somebody was trying to convince me that it was going to be Gates and this this woman down here, Marjorie Taylor Greene out of uh, Georgia for the uh, Republican ticket. And I was like, man, you, you want to talk about getting absolutely smashed by the, the libertarian ticket, especially uh, if, uh, I don't know, something crazy from the Mises caucus happens here, right? Like, I mean, it would be a it would be a shit show for them. Yeah. And it's by the way, it's uh, it, it's not looking like it's so crazy. Uh, the idea of what the Mises caucus is doing. I mean, I, I really do think that the, the Mises caucus being the dominant force in the libertarian party is all but inevitable at this point and i i think i think anybody who's being honest with themselves knows that and that that's why i think in the same way that you know as the the corporate press has lost more power um because th- if you really think about it the corporate yeah. press had a, had a monopoly on media for all of modern media time. times yeah. until just very recently and you see them behaving more erratic and insane than ever because they're losing that power and I think that you're also seeing that right now with a lot of the people who are the most, you know, deranged critics of the Mises caucus, because look, you could just look at the writing on the wall and say, we started right. What in, in, in 2018 with nothing yeah. by, by, by 2020, uh, what were we? 40% of the party, something like yeah. that. And now just in this year, 2021, we've been taking over state after state after state. I mean, you know, only the ones that let our people vote, but yeah, those, ones, technicality. <laughs> those ones have, have been going. And, and so you just see the writing on the wall that yeah. it's like, oh, this is going to be 
the dominant force in the party. And it's I not think, slowing down. Yeah, and I think the thing that's really freaking them out, and that's why so many of these people are like, well, which one is it, a takeover or unity? Which one do you want? And you're like, yeah, we're doing both. Yeah. And that's what's <laughs> freaking you out. That Take we're whatever actually, you want. Yes, we're taking, we're taking the role as being the dominant force in the party and then saying every good libertarian is included in this. And you know what? The, the funny thing is that the reaction from most good libertarians to that is like, oh, okay, cool. All right, yeah. so then that this is going to be awesome. And then the reaction to all the deranged critics is like, well, it, it can't be both. You can't have a caucus and want to get your people elected and want to work with other good people. And like, Watch us. How? Yeah, okay, well, we're going to. So <laughs> deal with that. that. Yeah, that's. I'll tell you. That's um. That's another uh, great uh, segue into a question that I have for you. You know, with with all the damn you know haters out there, like I don't want to. I, I don't want to get on the haters, but kind of that message is like, hey man, you have been doing this for fifteen plus years now, and you. I mean, you've been putting in the hard work to bring this kind of full circle. Is like, do you just say, hey man, look. I don't care what you're doing. Just go Liberty. Go do something. Show me how it's done. You don't get to use my brand. Like this is this is blood, sweat, tears, and time, man. And like you don't get to use my brand for this kind of shit. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, to me, like my my initial reaction to to all of that was it's, it's kind of like I. <laughs> I, I looked at it like, look, I am this kind of seasoned pro in this. And if some new rookie wants to challenge like me, like, okay, let's jump in and go 12 rounds and we'll we'll see what happens here. Like I'm not and, and I would debate these people and and very in large part due to the fact that I go, I know that I have nothing to win here and everything to lose. Like yeah. you, th these people come in and if they were to just destroy me in a debate, that is like, they've now made themselves. They are a name now out of yeah. nowhere. They're somebody in this movement. And if I beat them, I'm just the same exact person that I was going into that. <laughs> I know this and I'll still go, well, let me just, let's do it. You want to do this? Let's, but after a while, you know, it's like, okay, yeah, now this is, it just seems like we've had the debates. The, the, this is just kind of silly and tired. And, and I will say that there is this, um, what, what I, I would say is that what you never want to be, and I noticed this, it, it, there's, there's a, a small group of, of libertarians who fall into this role. But if you are some younger libertarian in your 20s or something like that, and you're getting into this, that's great. And, and it's great that you're here and it's great that you're involved in this. But don't be a punk ingrate who does nothing but find all the flaws in people who have contributed something to this movement. If you want to, there's nothing wrong with being like, you know, if I, there, there are really profound things that I disagree with Milton Friedman on, like yeah. really profound things that I think he got absolutely wrong. But if I was doing nothing but posting all day, every sentence that Milton Friedman ever wrote, where here's one from 30 years ago, and isn't this bad and unlibertarian? And here's one from 40 years ago, and isn't this bad? And eventually, Shane, wouldn't you just be like, Dave, what the fuck's wrong with you? Yeah. Like, do something. What, what, what are you doing? <laughs> go fucking earn it, man. Get yeah, off like, your goddamn ass and go. This guy did more for liberty than you've ever done. So what are you, just obsessed on every little wrong thing he's ever done? Like, like yeah. focus on something else. And what really drives me crazy, man, is the people who just were, are, are content to throw heroes in this movement under the bus without yeah. even reading their work. 
without yeah. even reading their work. I, I, I literally, or, or, or even having any idea what they do. Guys, there was this whole thread the other day where I was defending Lou Rockwell. And as people on this thread goes like, how could anyone think Lou Rockwell's a hero? Like, oh, oh how? You're, you're honestly asking the question, how a libertarian could think Lou Rockwell, the founder of the Mises Institute, the man who kept Ludwig von Mises and Murray Rothbard's ideas alive. You don't know yeah. how anyone could think he's a hero. And then it's like, oh, have you read any of his stuff? Have you read this book? Have you read that book? Like, no. It's like, okay, then shut up. So yeah. then you don't know. It's like that stuff just drives me crazy. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely. I have that's that's one of my biggest pet peeves in all this. You know, the, you get the shit posters that come after you and say you got it. You're wasting your time. You're doing it wrong. Well, all right, fucking go show me how to do it. I I hope I hope you're super successful, super yeah. successful. I'll take notes. I swear to God, I'll start doing it the way you do it because it'll make your brand better, right? Like that's absolutely, and, and I can learn more. That like that's or that's I'd the whole thing. Listen, if there if there was like some group of libertarians who were doing it a way that I don't like, but it was spreading the message in a really effective way, I'd go, hey, got to tip my hat to him. Got yeah. got to go, you know, whatever. But what's amazing, and I, I, I'm sure this exists all over different corners of social media, I just see it in the liberty world, is that there'll be someone with like 26 followers who will very confidently tweet at you and you go, this is, this is the most ineffective way to spread the message of liberty. You know, like if you want to spread the message, you have to do it this way. And it's like, what? what? Like, maybe, you know, like, look, say whoever it is, if someone like, you know, like, I, I don't know if, if Justin Amash was like, I don't think this is the way to spread the message of liberty. You go, okay, well, he's spread a message to a lot of people. He's got so about he's, half a million he, followers. He's yeah. Good. Okay, so you can you can have that argument, but how do you like not if, if you haven't spread the message to anyone, how yeah. do you really feel comfortable, you know, just like telling someone who's spread it to a lot of people that you know better than them how to do this? Maybe just think that through. Put yeah. it into action. Get some market feedback, libertarians. Say you know? it out loud to yourself. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> Kids. No, I'm just sound like an old fucking man there man. Go. yeah that's uh that's kind of what it's becoming though um i guess my my next question for you is um in terms of this growing movement and kind of being at the center of this thing man how are you handling the uh the the fame are you i mean like it, it, are you kind of noticing it or is it one of those things because it's a libertarian thing you kind of get to still go and do what you want to do yeah i mean i don't like I've definitely things have picked up a, a lot and and every year for for several years now has been like the biggest year ever the biggest year ever the big right. and so it's it, it's just kind of snowballed a bit for me but like I said I've been doing this for a long time I'm not an overnight success guy so I think I was you know I, I'm a lot more prepared for it than I would have been if it had just come to me you know a decade ago or something like yeah. that like overnight or something um, I also am friends with far more famous, successful people than myself. So I think that keeps me kind of grounded. Like, I don't feel like, oh, my God, I have this huge following or something when I'm friends with like Rogan or someone like that. And you're right. kind of like, yeah, it's, it's actually really not that big. <laughs> and um, so it's I, I think all of that helps me be prepared for this. And then, you know, to go back to what we said before, the family stuff really does a really, really good job of of keeping you grounded because it's not you know you just kind of it it focuses you on what really matters in in all of this and what's what's really important and really all what i care about is that i'm still the hero in my wife and daughter's eyes that's that's what matters you know like what 
what other people think of me is very, very, very secondary to that. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right, man. Whenever I need uh, just to realign some things, I, I know you're really into to fight sports and all that kind of stuff. I go down and get my ass kicked in jujitsu, and uh, it's <laughs> it's That'll it's one it. of the it's one of the best things in the world for you, man. It's just <laughs> like you know, go go get some humble pie once in a while, and uh, it, it definitely keep you grounded. But I think that's a great place, man, to uh, kind of wrap this first one up. And uh, I, I want to say thank you. How um, you know, tell everybody. I know everybody knows where you're at, but uh, if there's anything you want to plug or anything you want to you know i don't know push or whatever at this point um i believe pork fest is completely sold out but um so I'll, I'll be up there for any of you guys who are coming and uh freedom fest is is the next big one in uh in south dakota in july i'm hosting the whole event so i'm really looking forward to that i've never done freedom fest before i was supposed to do it last year those guys worked so hard uh last summer to put the thing together and comply with all the COVID restrictions. I was like on conference calls with them. And I'll tell you, they were working tirelessly. They switched it from being one room to being four different competing shows because mm. of the capacity limitations. And then like uh, like a couple weeks before the event, they like took them back from phase three to phase two and just crushed the whole event. And I know it was, it was really tough for some of those guys who had worked so hard to then have it just, you know, a Liberty event outlawed by the state and uh, so I'm I'm really excited that we get to go do it this year. And, and, and I think that's going to be a lot of fun. And then, you know, part of the problem, Comic Dave Smith on Twitter and all that. I just joined Clubhouse. If you're on there, Man, follow me there. I'll tell you what, between that and Twitter space is pretty cool. Uh, pretty cool little interface, I guess, uh, place to interface with everybody out there. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. I, I just did my first one uh, the other night with uh, Justin Amash and uh, it was it was cool. It was really ha fun. I have, you, have you done uh, Twitter spaces yet for your fans on Twitter? No, I don't know. I don't you even know what that is. Go check it out, man. It's okay. uh, it's it's actually a really great place where you can drop in for 15, 20 minutes and uh, and say hey and, and talk and all that. But, oh, that's cool. Hey. All right, I'll check it out. Yeah, man. Hey, uh, appreciate it, man. And uh, thanks for coming on. Wish you the best. And if you ever need anything, let me know. Dude, thank you so much, Shane. It was a, it was a pleasure to be with you. Have a good one. All right. Peace. Um, don't hurt people and don't take their stuff.